to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have a very interesting show. We have two just fantastic guests, one of whom will be joining me shortly, and the other at the halfway point or so in the show. The theme today is going to be something that we've talked a lot about here on A Better World Radio Airwaves, and that is the role of our emotions in health. What is the role of laughter, of smiling, of feeling good for health, healing, and overall well-being? We know what happens inside our body when we're feeling anger, frustration, stress, and sometimes These kinds of what we refer to as negative emotions can lead to actual diseases, heart disease, stomach illnesses, respiratory, and the like. And what's even more fun is to think about what we call the positive emotions, the emotions of love, gratitude, joy. And as has been said here on these airwaves many times, Each of these emotions, as with even every thought, has its own unique biochemical profile. And we now know this due to breakthroughs in neuroscience, physiology, and the new biology. So it's really a pleasure to be able to explore these depths of another way of understanding the holistic perspective of What Creates Illness Creates Health, with one of the masters of it, and that's Dr. Patch Adams. Many of you may know about Patch Adams through the film starring Robin Williams that has been made world-renowned and made him world-renowned as well for bringing his good work to larger audience around the world. And that is extraordinary. We'll be exploring the work that Patch has been doing for decades at this point in the United States and elsewhere, even in war-torn countries such as Afghanistan. And for the second part of our show, we'll be joined by good friend and colleague Dr. Bruce Lipton, cellular biologist, who we've had on the show many, many times over the years, going back to the early 90s, in fact, on A Better World TV. And Bruce will be helping to elucidate and illustrate some of the mechanisms involved in creating health through having, experiencing positive emotions and a positive belief system, a positive program. So, first of all, before I bring on our guest, Dr. Patch Adams, a little bit about his background, which is truly extensive. Patch is an American physician, clown, and a social activist who believes in treating his patients with love, humor, creativity, apart from the traditional medical services. His suicidal attempts as a teenager got him hospitalized three times in a year, and he decided to change this attitude forever. To give shape to his vision, He earned his Doctor of Medicine degree at Virginia Commonwealth University and has been passionately spreading love, laughter, clowning, and well-being 
everywhere in the world. He founded the Gestundtheit Institute and has uh, formed a free community hospital where he has practiced and which was described also in the film and is now building one in West Virginia along with an eco-village that we'll be spending some time on learning more and more about as today's show goes on. So it will be an extended program because of my two wonderful guests, and I want you all to get the benefit of their wise, fun words and healing words so we can all get uh, healed, actually, even from the listening. So, Dr. Patch Adams, welcome to A Better World. A pleasure to have you on. It's great to be with you. I'm so glad. So, your life is so interesting. You've been from the bottom all the way to the top, and you're hanging around probably a little bit closer to the top than anywhere else. I heard you say that you decided at that certain point in your life that feeling miserable just stank, and you resolved to be happy for the rest of your life. You know, that's a a brilliant statement, actually, simple as it may sound, because it suggests that you were ready and willing to transcend outer conditions and be committed to a feeling of happiness, joy, and well-being simply because you said that you wanted to do it. You want to comment on that? Well, I... I grew up with a very easy life on military bases outside the U.S. And when my father died from war, we moved back to the U.S. in 1961 to the south. And I remember exactly passing in a public park a sign on a public drinking fountain that said, Whites Only. And I realized my country was fake and religion was fake and the adult world was an embarrassment. And... I didn't understand why people didn't tear down the sign. And it wasn't a popular perspective, and so I was beaten up a lot in my last two years in high school. Then I saw Martin Luther King between my second and third mental hospitalization all in one year, 62, 63. I saw him give his I Have a Dream speech, and I realized that this crowd of nonviolent revolutionaries was my tribe. And in the third hospital, I realized I didn't have to kill myself over the nightmares of the world. I could make revolution. And one of the two major decisions I made was, as a political act, to never have another bad day, that I was going to be disgustingly radiant all the time because I knew already how strong a force that was in any collective setting. Yes. Yes. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, you you really do outline in your comments here, Patch, that sense of deep pain that any sensitive human being growing up in this world watching the horrors of injustice, of prejudice, of racism, of violence against anyone, women, children, watching our government take our money and 
building bombs and sending them overseas to kill innocent people. It absolutely wrenches the heart. So I'm saying all that because you went through a process of acclimating in some way or another, and that actually ended up bringing you to um, psychiatric hospitals. And you apparently went through a healing, I should say evidently, went through a healing uh, through finding your tribe, which describes also the power of community. Talk about that, if you would, a little bit with our, with our audience. Well, I was not in a climate of resistance, and that's why I was so hurt by my mother, bless her heart, made everything I like about me, and she was mm-hmm. not an activist. So I had to find that at the speech that Martin Luther King gave, and I realized that uh, very quickly that how selfish and self-centered it was to do what I was doing and that it was far more better to actively make resistance and to make positive models, and that's really what I decided to do. And that's in deciding, that's when I found out that my mother gave me self-esteem. In my 50 years of interviewing people very extensively, I found only about 3% of the people I've interviewed had self-esteem. But Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how clear it was in me. So as soon as I decided to never have another bad day, I only had to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And so I say it poetically, I dove into the ocean of gratitude and never found the shore. And that I have an option to live from intention. I can personally exactly make me the me I want to be. Yes. And I think that's what I've done. And after a couple of years, now that I've done it 54 years, it's, it's extremely second nature to me. I'm scary to be with if you want to be miserable. <laughs> well... If the film, uh, Patch Adams, is at all an accurate indicator, I completely see what you mean. Do you feel that Robin Williams uh, captured the essence of your character? Well, within the confines of what I'd consider a very narrow script, Universal Studios did not want to change the world. They wanted to sell tickets, and two things sell tickets, humor and violence. I didn't have much violence in my life and a lot of humor. I was first embarrassed by the film because it did not mention peace and justice, and a film with my name on it that doesn't mention peace and justice really isn't about me. And I forgave the movie three years ago when I really... I hadn't watched it. Uh, Yesterday was the 18th anniversary of it opening, and I hadn't watched it in many years, and I watched it again three years ago, and I understood the probably 80,000 letters I've gotten where people say I saw the movie when I was in 10th grade. Now I'm a free doctor in Africa, and I have... 
I, I haven't counted them, but I'm sure 80 or more thousand letters that in some way say how this very, what I'd call, simplified, more Reader's Digest version of me that, I mean, I think Robin did the best he could with the simple script that he had. Mm-hmm. And uh, that what I have grown to respect is that much the way people do for all of the arts, they read a poem and it becomes what they want it to mean, that people projected onto the movie the fact that they wanted a compassionate world, a, a world of care, and that they wanted a medical profession that was not about greed and business, but about the the ecstasy of caring for people. And and so I I uh, I now understand why schools all over the world show it to their classes and and that people I have a letter from a school teacher who says if I'm having a bad day I watch it for four or five minutes when I get home and everything is fine. Oh God, that must so, be still even within the confines of the limited script and film be very gratifying for you because you and your life and your values informed the essence of the film narrowed as it may have been so I guess think of it this way even your pinky is inspiring to some so that's that's pretty good Patch I I won't hold you to that but I I think that But you understand my meaning, of course. Right. I think there's such an absence of hope in the modern society. I mean, this election has certainly been an embarrassment to anyone that's thoughtful in the United States. And that I, Mm -hmm. I think that so they're looking for even the most simplified hopeful vision and I think that's what the movie satisfied for people is yes. that it so that huge numbers and literally tens of thousands of people and I have all the letters actually organized that I could show people the medical students or nursing students or massage students who say they got into healing because of the film or that if they got discouraged from their way the education was in medical school, they remind themselves that they're on their own path by watching the film. So people, I think, again, take some or project some kind of symbolism onto the things that matter to them. Yes. You can yes. go for a walk and pick up a rock. And it looks like a rock to everybody else, but you've moved it to ten different houses, and it sits on your dresser, and you take something from it. Correct. That is what we do. We attribute meaning to different objects, or including each other and films. And that you have inspired so many people. I think that you've not only inspired, but actually empowered them to sing their own song to really express themselves according to their own individuality rather than simply conform 
to some idea of what it is to be a doctor or a nurse that is somewhat more kind of so-called professional, clinical, uh, or academic for that matter. And it's sad what has happened to the profession in so many ways, and you brought a new life to it, and I think emboldened people to get back in touch with what was their original intention. I doubt if the original intention was to wear white coats and carry clipboards and look at computer screens. I think that really people got excited, as you were saying, about the idea of being kind of upfront and personal with people, really engaging them in their lives and helping them feel healthy again. It's an entirely Making different Making patients paradigm. friends. Yes. Yes. I have to ask you, in the film, since we were talking about it, there was that, of course, powerfully, uh, powerfully tragic scenario of the woman being killed. Is that any resemblance to reality, or was that just part of Hollywood's attempt to market violence? Well, I think what really happened is a lot more, I don't want to say tragic in a way, but a lot more profound. And that is, yes, there was a murder. It did not happen in medical school. It did not happen to my girlfriend. My closest friend in medical school, Louie, who went away for a psychiatric residency and when he finished his residence, he came and saw what we were doing with our very strange hospital, and he thought we were doing much more profound psychiatry than he ever learned in his classes, so he started to do it. And when he had a difficult case, he would bring that case to us, and he brought a only child of a multimillionaire, and he like Raznikovnikov in Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, felt that some people are above the law, maybe like our government, say, and that they can do whatever they want. And so this man, when our hospital was open, used to walk up to people and get right inches away from their eyes and say, I'm going to kill you. And he brought him there three times, and I said, Louis, don't bring him back here for a while. He's getting ready to kill somebody. And he killed Louis within 10 days. So that was six years after oh, medical school. Oh, my God. My God. How horrible. How horrible. And was he prosecuted according to the law, or did he well, actually he's not a, buy his way out? It shouldn't surprise people that who are only children of multimillionaires. He did go to court, but he was declared mentally incompetent, and so he did not go to prison. He went to mental hospitals, and from how I understand it, he would be released and be back in the mental hospital for arson. I, I actually don't know what happened to him way recently. I just followed him for some few years after the murder. 
Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm so sorry to hear hear that happened. It's one can only do the best one can, and God knows you know that you've been traveling around the world, helping families and children and everywhere. In fact, uh, I saw your film on clowning in Kabul, which is just, wow. Again, it just reaches the heart so deeply. Tell us, if you would, a little bit about your travels and who you, I know you spent a lot of time in Russia, you at orphanages and the like. What kind of experiences have you encountered in these situations? Well, maybe to help the listeners understand a little bit of biographical information, no one gave me a hospital when I graduated, so I did what the 60s folk did. I started a commune of 20 adults and their children in a large six-bedroom house, and we saw patients for 12 years. All Where for free. was this? And started in Virginia and ended up in West Virginia. And after 12 years, we didn't get a single donation or a foundation grant. No one wants to build a free hospital that doesn't carry malpractice insurance and a lot of our other scary things. And we had refused publicity before then, having no real respect for the media. And I realized after 12 years how much fun we were having, but it wasn't changing health care that we really had to show a fully modern hospital as we've designed at 10% of the cost. So we went public, and I know in going public that I would I would become famous. Ideas would not become famous. <clears throat> and so I was instantly asked to speak, and that's what I've been doing ever since, really, starting in 1984. Most of the time since 1984, I've been on the road 250 to 300 days a year to 81 countries and 5 million miles lecturing and performing mm. and trying to change the world that way. However, within a year of stopping seeing patients, I had such a ache in my soul for not doing direct patient care, which is something I feel really skilled at doing. And I didn't have a clinic, I didn't have a hospital, so I started our, where we would take a bunch of people, we never required any training, we never, we would take the dullest person of a country, it didn't matter to us as long as they were in a clown costume. We've taken mm -hmm. ages 3 to 88 from 50 countries on 150 clown tours, and... We spend every day clowning in hospitals, orphanages, prisons, nursing homes, subways, restaurants, hotels. Nobody is safe. <laughs> and we uh, we have found that you don't even need to know a country's language, that there is a language of love and, and care that transcends communication with words and we started in the Soviet Union because it was the Reagan years and Reagan wanted us to not like the Soviet people but I knew that basic peace work is to love your enemy so we started our first clown trip to Russia 
in 85, and we just finished our 32nd annual Russia trip, and we uh, that's where we started really involved further in the country because a Russian woman, Maria, started to clown with us and then started to clown on her own, and he found she found horrible situations in the orphanages there, so she started to take care of her own orphans and has been doing that for 24 years and has become quite well-known and is doing astounding work with orphans. And we expanded five times. We've gone into war and a number of refugee camps and displacement camps, and we have projects in Nepal and the Peruvian Amazon to stop child sexual slavery. We're building a school for really poor kids in Guatemala. And we can afford to have these projects because they're a lot cheaper than building a hospital in the U.S. But our our real focus is we have 321 acres in Pocahontas County, West Virginia, and we're trying to build, if I can say something about it, a 40-bed rural community hospital where all the permanent staff live together as a communal eco-village, and everyone from the cleaning person to the surgeon will make the same salary, and we wanted the salary to be so low it scared people, $300 a month. I think the things that scare people from funding us is that we will not carry malpractice insurance. We will not accept any third-party reimbursement. And we're allowing our practitioners to spend as much time with the patient as they want. Normally in the U.S., if you're lucky to get 7.8 minutes, in Spain you get five. I'm a family doctor, and when I was seeing patients, I liked three or four hours on the initial visit. And so we we really see maybe a hospital as a as a front to get people into a university of human culture to learn how to get along and to be farmers and to to work together and share things. Interesting. Interesting. What an entirely radically different perspective on what a hospital is, but it's interesting because when you go back to looking at the root of the word, if I'm not mistaken, maybe you can help me with this, hospital comes from the Greek hostes, H-O-S-T-E-S, which basically means host, to host, which is to welcome and have people feel comfortable in your context, in your milieu, whatever that may be, in your home. Yes, instead of it, your medical bill being the number one cause of a person losing their home. Exactly. Just the opposite. Just the opposite. And yeah. so you've been traveling for all of these years around the world doing these extraordinary uh, setups of clinics and orphanages and schools in poor countries and clowning everywhere. The film, I just will go back to this and we'll come back to West Virginia, but the film is so touching. Here you are going into a somewhat makeshift hospital where children have lost limbs and they've been burned 
all over the, your their bodies, and you are there with the, your clowning group, bringing smiles and giving away balloons and making everyone just feel good when their bodies are singed and just physical wrecks. What what was right. that like? Well, we went in hospitals in Afghanistan that didn't have any food or medicine. Whatever food or medicine they had was brought in from the side or in the black market. And, I mean, I, it is, the, I think, the job of anyone in the health professions and, and maybe really the job of any real citizen to care. And it was... Uh, this was a country that had already been torn apart by Russia and had some warring factions within itself and and we were very pleased the Italy loves me I probably lectured there more times than any other country except the US and mm-hmm. the mayor of Rome happened to be a socialist mayor and so when the war started, he offered me the, to pay for me to bring a, a group of people, and I brought clowns from all six continents and ten tons of aid to to the war six months after it started. And, you know, at that time, a very large number of, of people were starving to death in the country, I can remember being in a hospital where there was a huge amount of supplies for the U.S. troops, but the hospital had no food. And you just wonder how it is that you don't give them your food. Mm-hmm. So you 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 see, we were welcomed. We had a great time. And, you know, I think I've clowned in 81 countries, and I find people everywhere to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm kind of one of those John Lennon guys, you know, imagine no countries, no mm-hmm. religion, no possessions. It's corny. <laughs> Well, look, you're out of a similar mode, mode and mold that I am too from the 60s. And yes, you're a bit older than I am and you were more ensconced earlier. But there is a certain, how do I say, Aquarian headset of love and peace and generosity and kindness and compassion. It was very, very abundant in the 60s and into the 70s. And uh, I think it helped to shape our mindset and our personalities, quite honestly. I I tell people all the time that I'm still a hippie. I just cut the length of my hair. So My my ponytail is still down to my butt. (laughs) Well, you're more of a hippie than I am. (laughs) No, it's it's impressive. You've weaved, Patch, bringing together 
uh, social activism with medicine and healing in a way that I I consider exemplary, and that's why I was so excited about having you on today because this sense of social activism oh, from the 60s has been a bit lost, and it's getting revived, and it seems to get revived in cycles when things get really, really bad, you know, uh, like, you know, the um, Occupy movement kicked up and the like. Uh, when well, I the think 1% one of the problems is the media in the 60s yes. was dramatically different than the media now. There are millions yes. of great projects in the world, but you're yes. never going to see them in the media. I mean, they're forced to show them if they win the Nobel Peace Prize, but there are literally if if news was about good news and and didn't feed the the 1% that uh we would realize that there are people all over the world for the environment for for peace and justice for care in so many ways but it just uh that kind of good news is a threat to the system that owns the planet. Isn't that true? It really is. I frequently quote Paul Hawken, the the author of Blessed Unrest, and I've had the, the pleasure and honor of meeting him as well, who said that there are literally millions of organizations around the world, non-profits, for-profits, NGOs, associations, community organizations, on and on in every single continent, literally millions, not just millions of people, millions of organizations, a few million that are, as you're describing, on the ground in their own particular space and niche, some of them are about planting food. Some of them about uh, uh, medicine and healing in grassroots kind of ways. Others are about building schools, local schools, and small hospitals. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Some of them, some of them are about building commerce among women. You know, the whole microcredit world. It's just it's very heartening when you really see. Well, it takes alternative media such as A Better World, and thankfully there are a growing number of media organizations, thanks largely to the Internet, the great equalizer that is allowing this kind of um, propagation of more intelligent, I dare say, and balanced and uh, good news types of organizations on the media. So that's interested in your kind of work, I would say. Yes, it's hugely different than it was, no question about it. But you've seen what, if you would share with us like one or two of the more potent stories of meeting with children, I, I know I've got to say that seeing you with and your clowns in Afghanistan with that young girl whose body was, so singed, uh, and to see her go from crying to 
her eye catching one of the clowns in your troop and saying, huh, what? And her mind leaves the pain and transcends into this other space. It was so beautiful, so beautiful. Could you just share us with us a little bit about what that, that trip was like and some of your experience with the kids there? Well, the truth is you can do it on an elevator. If you walk on an elevator and you see somebody serious, there are ways to play and engage them that changes their day. And the nice thing about I've clowned every day for 54 years all over the world, and I would say the whole world welcomes me in that. It's I, I've often said that clowning is a trick to get love close, that I've mm-hmm. seen a huge amount of horror, starvation to death, exploding bodies, I mean, the the saddest child I ever saw was on a clown trip to Ecuador. My style is to ask the hospital who is suffering the most and that they'll take me to them. And in this case, it was a five-year-old girl, Valeska, who two months before had been raped. And I saw the saddest face I ever saw. I was paralyzed sitting across from her. I could not believe the deadness in her face and the reason she was in the hospital is that since her rape she had refused to open her mouth not to eat or cry or laugh or in any way allow any nutrients to get in her body and she they eventually because she was starving to death admitted her to the hospital they tried an ng tube and that didn't work so the next day they were getting ready to operate on her belly and create a window there to feed her that way. And, I mean, I really, no matter how many times I go over it in my head, I just was sitting there. I I kept saying te quiero, which is I love you in Spanish, and and just looking at her, and I never saw any light in her eyes or her mouth or face in any way. And I was there for an hour. It ended up that she did fall asleep. I was laying on the floor, and she fell asleep on me on the floor. And I was so hypnotized by her that I didn't notice the staff was watching me, uh, maybe 15 staff people because of their own bewilderment, and they saw her do things that they compared with the last two months, and so they canceled the operation, even though I couldn't tell anything happened. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I came back for an hour. I couldn't go to the regular schedule because I had to be with her again. And I thought the same thing happened. But we had follow-up stories, and two days later she was running up to people, and a week later she was home having fun and going to school. And they're, you know, that that love and distraction of play have such a, I literally, Mm -hmm. if I went through my journals, have thousands and thousands of stories because every single time you do it, you end up 
with stories. I, in Trinidad, I was asked to clown for five men who were hung the next day for capital crimes. Four of them oh, loved it. Boy. And mm-hmm. and so that's why I'm addicted to it. I This year we did eight clown trips. Um, we just finished our second suicidal vet trip, if you're aware. 6,000 military vets kill themselves a year. In the yeah. psychiatric profession, the military doesn't have any idea what to do with them. They over-medicate them, and so a year ago we took 10 suicidal vets to Guatemala with 10 staff, and it stopped all of their suffering. And so we just got back from our second vet trip with 10 vets and 10 staff, and it stopped all their suffering. Oh, my God, that's so beautiful. These men and women are so so misunderstood and so poorly treated by the country that they are putting their lives on the line for. It's just one of the greatest hypocrisies and tragedies going. So I'm I'm so hardened, Patch, to hear that you have reached out to that community among among so many others. Let's let people know that you are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here in New York City. And we are also on A Better World TV every Monday at 7 p.m. also here in New York City. And you can watch on television in Manhattan or on our website, which is www.abetterworld.com. TV, where if you do not yet receive our newsletter, our free newsletter, please go and sign up for it. Know what shows and what interviews will be taking place in a given week. And I also have articles in there about social justice, environmental justice, and good things that are happening across the planet, making people's lives richer and deeper and more beautiful and uh, as well as uh, calls to action, things that we can do to help shape a better world. And that is both on the macro level as well as on the micro here in the United States of America, which, talking about bleeding hearts, what's going on right now, as you made reference to earlier, Patch, about our current or soon-to-be president, or so it is said, there's tremendous opposition to that right now and many people are uh, reaching the electors and having very frank conversations with them about what they're going to do are they going to stick to the vote they may have pledged a few months back or in light of all that's been happening since November 8th uh, looking to possibly make a change so for me The story is not over at all. It's in flux, dynamic flux, and we'll see what happens. So I'm wondering about your brilliant hospital-slash-eco-village. Would you tell us a little bit more about that? What's the overall vision? Well, within a month of being in medical school in Virginia... I realized if I had to practice the way they did that I'd never do it. 
And so not being a student who had to spend all of his time studying, I studied instead healthcare delivery systems, both current and before, with the idea to create a hospital model that would address every problem of the way care was delivered in one model. And so when that was very easy, clearly it should be free for the people, so there was never any question of making any money from it. Mm-hmm. And that I never heard anyone say anything good about an insurance company, and the control they have over the practice of medicine is a nightmare, so we said, that's easy, just don't accept any insurance. Mm-hmm. And then the issue of malpractice, that we don't have the right to make a mistake, that you apologize when you make a mistake, and that you, with a lot closer intimacy with the patient and and friendliness among the staff, there's much less likelihood you would make a mistake. And And that so much medicine that is practiced is is based on the malpractice system. So we just said, let's never, we are the only hospital in the U.S. refusing to carry malpractice insurance. The 12 years we were open, we were never sued. The issue of how much time, I correspond with medical students and medical people in 130 countries, longhand, and they the loudest screams that they make are more time with patients. I mentioned earlier that Spain has five minutes, 7.8 in this country, and people are just much more complicated than that. You can't even find out about your specialty in that period of time. And that's why in our hospital you'll be able to spend as much time as a practitioner as you want. So as a family doctor, my first interview with a new adult will be three or four hours long. Mm-hmm. And it's not like mm-hmm. the the my next patient would sit in a boring, dull room with everybody nervous because the hospital is on 321 acres with three waterfalls and caves behind the waterfalls, a four-acre lake, very extensive permaculture gardens. The hospital will be an artist colony theater will be going on so you'll just uh, you, you may even decide to stay for a couple of days because that's how relaxed it's going to be and it sounds like a party patch I apologize it sounds like for a that. patch Adams party is what it really sounds like and we'll be the first fully integrated medical hospital in the country as well. So not only allopathic care, but acupuncture and homeopathy and naturopathy and Ayurvedic and anthroposophic medicine, etc. And it'll be a fun place to recover, a fun place to die. I, one mm-hmm. of my first papers was called Fun Death. I'm fun to die with. You've got to <laughs> die. Let's make it fun. And <laughs> make it a good one. I'm very glad as an acupuncturist and holistic psychotherapist and stress management consultant myself to hear that and not surprised that you would be having holistic so-called alternative homeopathic and other types of modalities, so-called alternative medicine, which is not really alternative at all. Some of it's way, way older, like Chinese medicine, than 
allopathic medicine, which is all of, you know, 160, 175 years old. When we started, it was against the law to do anything other than chiropractic. mm -hmm. And so we broke the law. Our law was what was helpful for the patient. That's the higher law for sure. So how far are you? I know you told me that last month you put the roof on the first building. Well, that was October. When we talked in November, that was true. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I started in 1971, 46 years ago, I thought we would be built by 1975 because no one had any idea how to solve the cost problems, and and I thought that foundations would love to make a hospital. We, we've eliminated 90% of the cost, but no foundation has ever given us a grant. The movie promised to build us and didn't give us $10, and so we just, the, the, we just the keep at it. The movie promised? Promised? You mean the film, the producers? The, the when I met the owners of Universal and signed yes. the contract, I went around to each of them, looked them in the eye, and held the contract in one hand and says, does this build our hospital? And they said yes. And what happened? Well, the movie was extremely successful. Hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars. They didn't give us ten dollars. But you had a contractual agreement. Yeah, but I, I, you know, they have millions of dollars to spend on lawyers, and I don't have any money to spend on lawyers. I also don't like the karma of fighting in a court for something that was promised. Well, I guess you could have gone back to the owners and look them in the eye yet again and have one hand out with a smile on your face and maybe a one of your clown you know noses on and say hello <laughs> it's I time sure tried. it's party time excuse me i sure tried yes i'm sure you did it's not my and style and literally they just quiet. they simply dishonored their agreement their promise Mm-hmm. Yes. But I've actually That's... found that, you know, people's relationship to their money is very unusual. Almost no one who loves us has ever sent a donation. Mm-hmm. That I'm O for 1800 in foundation grants. And I only apply for grants that for people addressing the problems of care delivery, and no one's doing it like us. And, you you know, the money thing, you need a sense of humor because money money has become the world's religion. Indeed. Nothing could have proved it more than the two major people running for the presidency. Correct. Both of them, their own version of corporate wealth. Yes. And they certainly weren't going to worry about the fact that the number one reason people lose their home is 
their medical bill or 60% of bankruptcies are their medical bills. Money is what is is God in this world and that's right. You can say there are other kinds, but that's not the language or what wins. And right. so we we just stay at this. Maybe someone listening will help us. That's certainly Maybe so. one of my hopes. Indeed, we reach lots of people of all stars and stripes, and one never knows when one decides to shift that relationship or have a more liberated relationship to their money and decide to help you out. Now, I mean, imagine if you had 46 years to design something rather than had to hurry in three months to do it. So the nice thing about failing to date is that we have an a much more astounding project connected in amazing ways all over the world and a readiness. So maybe this week. Yes, maybe this week, exactly. But tell me a little bit about when you say, Patch, that the hospital that you would run and the entire community because that's really what it is it sounds so much as would be able to operate at 10 percent of the average cost of a hospital what accounts for that how is it that you go about achieving that goal well or that outcome all the permanent staff live there as a communal eco village okay So all the permanent staff will live there, and everyone from the cleaning person to the surgeon will make the same salary, $300 a month. That's shocking to people, but thousands of doctors and nurses apply, begging to work there, hating what they're doing out here in the regular world, not just from the U.S. Okay, a hospital that doesn't carry malpractice insurance. They say one-third to one-quarter of the cost of care is an administration of insurance. We don't have anything to do with insurance, so there's no cost there. We estimate we've eliminated 85% of the environmental footprint of the staff by having us all live together. And what's great is that someone will be able to come there and see how different life could be if they lived as a collective instead of, I I personally think the most unhealthy direction for human living happened in the decision to be nuclear families are living alone. Mm -hmm. No psychologist or social worker of any country, and I've talked to 81 countries, has ever felt there were more than 15% of their couplings were healthy. Mm -hmm. And People live in huge homes for just uh, two people or their their few children. It's uh, not environmentally sound, and so not at all, not at all. So we'll make it cheap because we won't we don't owe any money. We're not going to borrow money to build the hospital. 
so we'll we'll uh you can understand and if you have doctors making doctor salaries and nurses making nurses salaries and you ended up with 120 staff living there and you're getting them all for 300 a month right which now, would be less than you, the cost probably of a surgeon a month sure so you've raised approximately 6 million through some pretty interesting ways uh and do you how much do you project you would be needing to actually complete the design as you see it i have been asking for 300 million dollars 70 million to build the hospital and the rest would be endowments mostly endowment for our hospital but also for our orphan work in Russia and our several projects to stop child sexual slavery in the world. So most of it is endowments so that we don't have to spend our life hustling. Yes. Okay, but just bearing down on the the structure of the hospital and eco-village itself, your West Virginian footprint, what are you thinking about? you would be needing to begin that whole operation separate from all of the other amazing initiatives like you mentioned across the Well, those initiatives are all cheap. Yes. None of them are expensive. But how much you know, for the, the th- what most you are- all of the 300 million the 70 would build the hospital and all the structures needed there. Okay. Yes. And the rest and uh, ideally, in the neighborhood of $180 million would be an endowment. Okay. And then the rest would go mostly to endowments to these other little projects that we have. You know, have you – this is, of course, the whole thing is preposterous that we are living in the world – of malpractice and malfeasance the way we are today right now under the name of healthcare and medicine. You know, we don't have to go into the atrocities that are committed and the fact that iatrogenic diseases are the cause of more deaths than anything else. And the very funny statistics are that when doctors go on strike or vacations, uh, there are more people getting healthy during that time than sick. So we know the stats are in what role doctors have been playing in in patient health, if you will, in the standard fare of things, status quo. On that basis, and with those very, very uh, solid statistics behind you, in one hand, say, have you ever approached a state, as in the governor, and said, we can save you a bundle in health care costs? You want to try it this way? So that $70 million or $80 million, whatever, could be a fraction of what they were preparing to spend on health care for the following year. You know, I've written a lot of letters. I'm an extreme extrovert in these 46 years of fundraising. 
Yes. And a lot more people answer the letters I write after the movie than before. Uh-huh. Yes. And that's good news. And that the number of people who hear the dream and say that'll never happen which is why I think even people that love me and love our work have not given donations because they think it'll never happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the truth is we've been happening every day all these years. Even in our closed doors, I doubt if there's any doctor in the world that gets more letters than I do about how our work is shaping the work of medicine all over the globe. Indeed. Indeed. And I would so like the to fact is that your work is actually populating the planet, uh, not in the form that you imagined it would, but still in all, it is happening. Sometimes it goes that way. Sometimes it just goes that way. It doesn't show up in the world the way we thought. Well, you know, we're very fortunate, Patch, that... Uh, we have someone else that has shown up to join us today, a mutual friend of both of ours, Dr. Bruce. Bruce! <laughs> cellular right. biologist. Another clown. <laughs> In the highest level, that is, who appreciates the pleasure and the health benefits of joy, love, gratitude. And uh, it's an honor to have Bruce join us again. Just a couple of words about Dr. Bruce Lipton. He is a pioneer in the new biology and is an internationally recognized leader in bringing together science and spirit. As a cell biologist by training, Bruce was on the faculty of the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and later performed groundbreaking stem cell research at Stanford University. He is the author of the best-selling The Biology of Belief and received the 2009 prestigious Go Peace Award in Japan in honor of his scientific contribution to World Harmony. He is also the co-author with Steve Behrman, known as Swami Biyandananda, for A Laugh of Spontaneous Evolution. And Bruce has also authored a book we had him speaking about on this show called The Honeymoon Effect. The honeymoon effect. So, Bruce, welcome to our our party here. So good to I, have you. I am I am so honored to be with both of you. Both of you are are so dear to me. And and Mitch, we just talked the other day and shared a lot we of did. wonderful things. But I also have to say that my experience of of once meeting Patch uh, changed my life. And just being in, in in that man's vicinity changes anyone. I mean, to the extent that uh, uh, Patch had me throw a moon in downtown Byron Bay on Saturday night in the middle of the city because uh, of, <laughs> that's what Patch does, you know. <laughs> uh, and, and you know what was fun about that? It was there was this, uh, this young guy, Patch and I were walking down the street, and he was staring at us and staring at us, like you know, almost like a like disbelief thing. And then as we walked by, he said to me, is that Patch Adams? And I go, yeah, it is. And he's like, oh! And, and what it was is that he's a pediatrician who got oh. into the whole thing only because yeah. of Patch Adams. 
And then to meet Patch Adams down on the street there was just like, whoa. And it was fun to be around that because that's a effect that Patch has had on this planet and on this world. And I really wanted to, to, to mention when you guys were talking about, well, about the funding issue. And I've talked to Patch about this, uh, and the fact is this. The higher powers, let, let's, uh, I'm going to talk from my heart about this. The higher powers do not want Patch to succeed in this program for a very simple reason. The money in the health industry is based on the, the high finances that we're all facing. The idea that you can come in with a, a, you know, a low ball cut rate thing and do the same job is like, are you kidding me? That, that would be the last thing that they would find. It is. It's against their whole principle of profit, you know, and that's and that's the unfortunate yeah. thing is that medicine has become, you know, there, there's this word uh, human, humanity, humanitarian, the root of human. Uh, and yes. the interesting thing about that root, the root word is, is compassion. And then I go, yes. well, look, uh, let's look about the health industry today. And I say, well, it's a for profit industry. I go, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. You're making a profit off of sick people. How do you do that? Well, we provide less services than the amount we charge for. <laughs> and I say, right. wait, this person is sick and they're down, and now you're kicking them to get a profit. This is the farthest thing from compassionate. And then I ended up, when you get to that point, then you recognize that industrial health care is by definition Inhumane, and that's where it is right now. Yes, beautifully yeah. put, and painfully understood. But <laughs> how true, you know? How true. Yeah. And a lot of things go that way, and it makes you really wonder, Bruce, about this capitalist system, which, by the way, I feel has many, many merits, Yet it is so out of balance that shows up so powerfully in this context you're describing. You have to say there's something wrong in the state of Denmark. Something well, it balanced. is, and uh, we're facing it right now, the upheaval in this country, which is a kick in the face for most people. Uh, yes. This upheaval is, is this opportunity to say, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, this is enough of this, and let's go with this world because uh, the situation is that corporate control of this world is out for the one percent, and the ninety-nine percent uh, are, you know, are sunk. And and yes. and even though they don't say they're slaves, the fact is, well, if you look at their charge accounts and how much they owe and how little money they make, uh, most yes. of them are slaves. Yes, uh, I've always said that. Slave, slavery never ended, it expanded. It simply became <laughs> colorblind, so everybody could be part of it. <laughs> yes, and, and so the upheaval is here. And, and, and to get back onto the track, the thing that's missing is the concept of humanity. What does it mean to be a human and all that? And, and, and for me, uh, one of the, the great joys of my life is to meet Pat. Because there, if there's a definition of a human being anywhere, uh, it, it's just two words, Patch Adams, and, and that's it. And I'm so honored to that's be in, in his uh, community. I'm blowing well, your kisses, Brucey. <laughs> I so appreciate it. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Patch showed up at a, a festival we were doing in Australia called uh, Uplift. 
and we had like yes. uh, 1,500 people in there, and it was really uplift. It was an idea of raising consciousness, and, and Patch came in and did these, uh, uh, I, I don't know how you do it, it's like a workshop thing, you know, with people in there to join up in couples, and uh, one person would lay their head in the lap of the other person, and the one, mm-hmm. uh, the, the one would like stroke their head. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and what happened was that these people that really didn't know each other as, you know, like that, at the end of Patch's presentation, there was a unity in that room that was palpable. You could feel it. And these people, you know, just looking in, uh, into another person's eyes is one of the exercises and, uh, and doing this for, this for this his presentation. Just in that one period of time, there was a transformation in the whole audience. Mm. Uh, of how to be a human and how to look at another human and recognize the the humanity in that individual. Thank you, Pat. It was beautiful. So beautiful. So beautiful. Well, I, for myself, may say that I am just so pleased and honored to have both of you. And I have to tell you, Patch, that Bruce and his lovely wife, Margaret, a year ago encouraged me to contact you and say, you two have to meet. You have to have them on your show. Please, here's this information. Go for it. And what with life is and the Big Apple, it just took me a while. But finally, I came across, actually, Margaret's email recently, and that's when I instantly stopped everything and reached out to you. So I'm very, very glad happy that you did that, Mitchell. Thanks for doing that. Yes. Yeah. And thank, thank you, you Margaret. <laughs> yes, thank you, Margaret. <laughs> she will be remembered. Well, <laughs> she is. Well, you know, I would like to bring to bear uh, some of the um, medical intelligence that is inherent in Bruce Lipton's work and its bearing on the West Virginian Hospital, not to mention the work that you do around the world, Patch. I know it's influenced my work with my clients tremendously, as well as my students. In fact, Bruce, you know, based on our just delightful and deep dialogue yesterday for A Better World, I was teaching last night to my group, and I was so inspired by all that you were sharing again that I made that the topic, the theme of the evening of a two-hour workshop. So I just want to let you know that, and in honor of you, it was. Well, so, I, I, I hope it was in honor of the wonderful science that's coming out because that—that's where yes. the truth comes from, you know. And and very true. I love being in science, uh, and um, interesting times ahead for us as science people. Exactly, exactly true. So how would you speak to the project that Patch has the vision for and is beginning to materialize down in West Virginia, where the understanding of the emotions of, let's talk about the positive emotions of love and joy and happiness and gratitude, um, can impact patients, friends, Uh, in a way that one doesn't need a scalpel, one won't need a medication. In fact, one might not even need an acupuncture needle. They'll be there. When we get there, that's the truth. Uh, 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 The simple understanding is that that biology, uh, uh, you know, to the misperception of the mass of the population of this planet with, with their belief that genes control life, 
this is a totally false understanding that the control of life is really due to the nervous system and its interpretation of the world. And the, the most valuable word was interpretation of the world because um, two people can be in exactly the same place and have totally different responses. And so it's not just the world that's out there, but it's the world that they, that they perceive, that's in the here. world that they believe in. And once you start to recognize that, it's that, that belief is that's where the source of our biology comes from. The, the biology of the, of the body becomes a complement to the mind of that individual, whatever that mind is, is in a happy place. The body is now in a happy place because the 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 mind's vision is translated by the brain into chemistry, which goes into the blood, and those are the hormones and neuropeptides and signal things that adjust the genetics and the behavior of the cells. So, as you change your your thought or your emotion, uh, that change in consciousness is 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 complemented with a, a change of chemistry that that is reflecting that i mean there's a chemistry in your body of joy that's a, that's a chemistry that you feel uh, and yes. so there's this connection uh, and the relevance about it is what we're finding out is that a person's health becomes a complement of the environment and the environment that we have created that we live in today is so out of harmony with life uh so uh, the, the the underlying word is stress uh, and that stress is most likely due to 90% or, or so of all illnesses on this problem, given the knowledge that less than 1% of disease is connected to genes. Uh, this becomes a really important understanding. So Patch's work, what, what is Patch doing? And this is really important, too, about healers and patients. And it really has to do with... That when we see the world with our eyes, we see a physical expression of the world, but that's that's an illusion of of photons of light, because everything is made out of energy. Uh, and when you see something, mm-hmm. you're not seeing it; you're seeing a reflection of photons. So underneath the photons that are lighting you up, there's energy. Everything is energy, and and the relevance is that energy has harmony and disharmony, and in disharmony is reflected as an energy that uh, is associated with disease, uh, b- uh, health problems. Harmony, by definition, is an energy that enhances health and growth. And why it becomes relevant is the patient coming in, by definition, uh, seeking something to balance themselves, that's what they're trying to do is put their energy back together, comes to see a healer. What's really relevant and is not part of medical school or any of that stuff, it's like the most important part, is that when a, a, a healer and a patient come together in the room, the energies of the two by quantum mechanics and definition become what is called entangled. And the significance of that is that the patient with a lower energy will, will uh, actually, uh, when becoming entangled with the healer of higher energy, will, will yeah. raise their own energy up. So the healing part was firstly bringing in a healer whose heart and mind are so in coherence with life and love that when they walk in the room, that energy is immediately the influence on the patient. That's the first thing. Yeah, and, right. and, and then I, you say, well, you know, what does that mean in regard to training? I say, well, it's not training in any medical school to understand how to do this. And, and Patch has been a teacher uh, of this way of dealing with patients, 
Uh, I mean, there's just so many wonderful things about you. Know, you know, part the the dialogue is the entanglement, the communication back and forth. This is just one example, and I think if if I'm close to this, Patch will support me on it. That one of the exercises that when doctors come to work with Patch, they want to acquire these skills, and one of the things he did, I think it was, he would have uh, one of these doctors stand on a street corner, like in a city area, and as people cross the street. The job of that doctor was to engage in a conversation and create a communication. So it was a way of teaching how to talk cold to someone and and then bring them in. And uh, this is profoundly important because it's the communication between the healer and the doctor as much as any of the physical things or chemistry things like drugs that is involved with the healing. So if you want to get a fine healer, they really have to go through... um, a program of awareness and training of how to be a communicator, how to be a teacher, because I think the uh, Patch knows all this because he's so damn bright. Uh, uh, the definition uh, of uh, uh, teacher or doctor is teacher, and, and the idea is the most ra- well-rounded physicians, the ones who go through this understanding, are the ones that walk into the into the patient room and and immediately have a healing effect on the patient. And yeah. that education, as far as I know, has been uh, one of the primary drives of, of my dear friend Patch is to assure that the doctors that go through his community become real humans and, and real lovers of life, and that oh, is a source yes. of healing. That's so beautiful. I you mean, got this that, is the domain. Right? <laughs> yeah, this you know is how the to domain talk. of real energy <laughs> medicine and energy yes, healing. Is. That it's is right there. Patch, physician heal a... heal thyself. Physician heal thyself is patches the healer of physicians. He helps them do that. Yes. Yes. So or else I imagine patch that you would be uh by definition integrating the wisdom that that Bruce has gleaned over the years of these amazing relationships that existed all along, but it took someone like Bruce to uncover about how the mind and thoughts and beliefs and feelings, i.e. interpretations then of experience, perceptions of experience and the interpretation, affect blood chemistry, which then in turn affect the expression of genes. And who we are. You know, it feels like a duh, doesn't it? (laughs) That if we weren't such a damaged society, I think, and we really watched people, we would see that what I found is when I was designing myself to be an instrument for peace and justice, I found it that I wanted to radiate six qualities, happy, funny, loving, cooperative, creative, and thoughtful. That if I lived that way, it would be irreducibly seductive to whatever environment I was in. And that's been the case. That we are group animals for 50 million years we've been communal and 
it's almost something that most people never even taste in their life is what what tribe is like yeah and the safety that tribe allows and i i i'm sure the most significant thing i ever did for my life was to start a commune to to have dreams that were nested in the collective and it uh, uh you know what you're saying from the point of view of species which is so much about the way i like to think is so true it's the group it's the tribe that keeps us alive it's our ability to cooperate and understood from that point of view we see really that things as smiling and laughing and this kind of social engagement is our survival mechanisms. And so not only are they pleasing our other tribesmen and women, but they're also having what Bruce is so good at describing, the immunological and other effects in our lives. A good smile, a good laugh, a good belly laugh is extraordinary for our cellular life. Bruce, you want to comment on that? <laughs> well, uh, th- that good humor stuff is uh, 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 really fun. Not I was just, just thinking as you were talking about that, uh, and I was thinking, you know, when I, I saw the movie called Patch Adams, and Robin yeah. Williams was in it, and I watched it and I laughed we a lot. About and it I thought, oh, that's Robin Williams, you know, that's just Robin Williams. When I met the real Patch Adams, I found out, Robin Williams learned all that from Patch, and it was so cool because that humor uh, can change uh, uh, an argument. He, he, I've you know understood and seen how uh, Patch could, if people were in an argument, uh, Patch could just stand there and, and get real close and do some kind of funny thing, and the argument between the people stops, uh, and they look at Patch. <laughs> And all of a sudden, it's like the you know the the argument's over at <laughs> that moment. Uh, how just that that humor that yeah. you know just standing there can can break this thing. And, and that thing, as an individual with two people, is no different than two armies doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. They could stop. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is the, the mission, and the mission is to uh, heal the planet. And patches caught on early on in the game of where's that healing yeah. coming from? You know, Bruce, you're reminding me of uh, one of the most beautiful moments in wartime was during World War One. Were we talking about this the other day? When at Christmas time, which we're approaching right now, the two warring factions of the Germans against the French and the Americans and others stopped to celebrate Christmas, and they brought each other gifts, as the story has it, and they sang together when Christmas dawned. And yeah. then, you know, the next day or two, they went back and, you know, started shooting at each other. But isn't that just hilarious? Well, human. It's so, talk about it's human. So true. People, yeah. it's not in human nature to be violent like that. There, there's this, 
very interesting story because uh, in conventional anthropology and, and stuff and relating it to human biology, and they go, look, look how these chimps and the males dominate and they the infant side they kill the babies of other females and they dominate and blah 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 and they hit and fight and right. and, and we are related to them therefore uh violence in humans is a natural expression and the fact is this it's not true there's a higher ranking organization of primates uh, that are chimps but of different species called the bonobo and, and what's interesting yeah. about the bonobo is number one uh, it's not male dominance. It, it's uh, there's co-dominance with males and females, and and number two, and this is the fun part, if they ever get excited, instead of getting into violence, they just have sex. Uh, that's right. it. They, they have sex. The violence is over, and everybody goes back to work. <laughs> you know, so uh, it, it, it's the make love, uh, not war. But what's important about it is the reflection that. Violence is not necessarily any part of our human character, but it is programmed, uh, and yeah. and is programmed Great by point. those that manipulate, uh, and we've all been programmed. Uh, the the fact that is so critical is that, uh, as I mentioned the other day, uh, the movie The Matrix is not science fiction. The movie The Matrix is a documentary, in that all of us have been programmed, and, and these programs run up to ninety five percent of our lives, and. Uh, and most of these programs are, are you know, disempowering, you know, self-sabotaging, limiting. Uh, and, and without knowledge of these programs, we buy into the story of, that's just the way humans are. And I go, no, that's not the way they are. That's the way we've been yeah. programmed. And and thank Great goodness point. it's coming down, the, the, the breakdown of that that separation that we're against you and all that kind of stuff. The walls are coming mm-hmm. down. A new generation is moving in with a new culture, the millennials. Uh, they're a global culture because the Internet has made them global. They're not local. They're global. And this is a, a, a psychological change that will precipitate our evolution uh, almost immediately. Yes. If we become more bonobo-like, I also heard that they, um, you know, they end up having sex about ten times a day. Yeah, but nobody fights. <laughs> I know. That's right. They may they may pick a fight just because they know what's going to come out in being yeah, uh, making love. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have much to learn from them, you know. Yeah. But, but it's just what we that, have to get away from is violence is not a natural state of human biology. The violence is is put in there as a program and yes. and it, and exactly. it can be removed from us but it, it requires teachers and and awareness and experience and uh and this is the 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 new regimen of health that that uh, my friend patch is a pioneer in is that we have to teach people at the same time you just don't put a band-aid on them and send them away a doctor is a teacher and and, and this is what is needed Absolutely. These points are excellent. And I'd like to circle back to a point you were making before, Patch, about Commune, uh, which you started back in the 60s, and you're coming back around to implementing it again. And you made the point that humans are communal tribes people by nature. And when you think about 
as you were putting it earlier, of two or three people living in a 7,000-foot house taking up that entire large carbon footprint from an environmental and ecosystemic point of view. It's a horror show. And not only that, they're so lonely. They're so lonely, by and large, with some exceptions. And they're isolated, for sure, from others as a result of the physical architecture. And so a commune changes everything where people are within proximity and you're saying that really that is much closer to our own organic nature. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more. And it's how we can make a hospital at 10% of the cost. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Didn't uh, Patsy tell me that the the janitor gets paid the same amount as the doctor in that community? Absolutely, $300 a month. How did you calculate that that salary? Well, let's say you're living in a multi-million dollar home, right? That's what the hospital is. You're living with your closest buds. You've got a fabulous farm, and you find out that you don't need... If you had 120 medical staff living in the current thing, they would each have a car. But with 120 staff people living together, maybe you need eight cars mm-hmm. instead of 120. And that you, so many things that you pay for are your friends. You live there with them, whether it's a mechanic or a lawyer or a physician or a farmer, and they're all living there, and you've made so many friends that a lot of times, I mean, people offer me hundreds of different cabins that they have or almost anything I could want to do. Generosity begets generosity. And so... The three hundred dollars are what what are you we we would have an endowment for the staff, and the staff, if it has children that want to go to college, that endowment we would like the endowment to cover so that they don't have to worry about that, and that if you if you wanted a thing that there's there is a staff endowment for those kinds of things because we we want to see just how low economically we can go yes you know most everything you could ever want will be at the hospital and that's where you live you also have all these friends so if you wanted to to spend a month in a cabin in the woods, you just call up your friend with a cabin in the woods. Mm-hmm. I also imagine that you would be using solar and wind and possibly geothermal or microhydro all as means of generating electricity. You'd have water there flowing, clean and purified. 
you'd have farming taking place there in some pretty sophisticated ways, biodynamic farming or the like. So, in fact, you would have all of the elements of a very good life right present on the, on the property, on the land. That's right. A theater to put on plays, all of the – there'll be ceramic pavilion, metalwork pavilions, photography studios – so whatever your artistic interests are, and and you'll it isn't long when you're giving love that you find out that that's really your richness is in what you're giving. Yes. And that if what I have found in I know that if I put it out there among friends that that there was something I needed. For my life, I'm sure that call would be answered. Yes. That you don't need, when you age, if somebody gets Alzheimer's, when 120 adults are living together, they just become one of the people that needs a little extra care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you have oh, a child born with cystic fibrosis, you know, you live in a community, and, and that community is caring for you. So... It may be hard for you to know what you would spend the three hundred dollars on. <laughs> Pat, can I can you know, I ask this question? Uh, I just want to know. Please. You know, uh, you give uh, uh, lodging and 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 you know food and all that. Do, do they get health care insurance? <laughs> That's, That's a joke, Pat. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I got okay, it right I, away, Bruce. <laughs> yes. They're, they're, we are the insured. They are insured good health. Is that what you mean? <laughs> That's right. We're, we're, you're, you're with your doctor. Your yes. doctor is nearby. Your acupuncturist, your shamanic lunatic is nearby for crazy you're not just with your doctor you're with your doctor (laughs) um (laughs) you know there's good news on the horizon my friends uh a dear friend of mine david katzmeyer has been doing a lifelong study of cycles cycles on the planet cycles of nations and all we're at a time of planetary cycles wherein it is called a an emotional high And it's coinciding with an intellectual high and a physical low. Physical highs are times of war. Physical lows are times of peace in this particular configuration. It's very interesting. I've been studying it with him, in a sense, for years. And when the emotional cycle is high, it means a time of greater compassion, love, cooperation, and generosity. So it could well be, according to this larger larger cyclical pattern patch, that the time is really near at hand for an idea such as yours that I know you've been germinating since the 60s, and many of us have similar ideas since then, too, this may well be the time, even though it looks like it's the time of greatest capitalist explosion based on what's going on, at least in this country. Uh, it's also seemingly paradoxically the time for 
the uprising, or as Bruce Lipton's good friend and mine, Steve Behrman, would say, upwising of peace, harmony, and generosity. So maybe we can take heart in a little of that. Either of your thoughts. This is just open for us all now to chat. Well, yeah, I just add that everything is right on schedule. I mean, there's there's an evolutionary pattern uh, and uh, and that's interesting because uh, when we talk about a Darwinian theory of evolution, it's, it's based on random mutations uh, uh, initiating the evolutionary events. Well, if it's a random mutation, then by definition, they're, they're all accidents, so there's no pattern. But that's a, a misunderstanding, and there's a, a fractal pattern built into to geometry of nature and of everything alive. And, and so there's a pattern that's playing itself out, and we're coming... Uh, through this pattern right now, uh, and it's interesting because um, uh, it, it's a, a pattern of uh, the expression of an individual, then later the individuals maximize their ability as individuals, and the next level of evolution is not to enhance the, the ability of the individual, but to create the community, which then is what it, it, is the next higher level of organization. So, uh, in a sense of this is a, a cyclic pattern. Uh, so, for you know, for example, uh, bacteria are restricted in their size, and, and there's a physical basis of awareness, consciousness, nervous system, uh, and you maximize that level in the in the bacterium, and, and there's no physical ability to get more intelligent. So, the first level of evolution was make the individual, make it as intelligent as possible. But when the intelligence is maxed out, as in the case of the bacterium, uh, the next level of evolution, it stopped at making the individual smarter because it couldn't, but the next level was to bring the individuals together to share awareness. And that is the group community. And that led to what is called the amoeba, which is like a bag of former bacteria uh, in their community. And the amoeba was then the next level, and we made the smartest and smartest amoeba. Uh, And then when you made the smartest amoeba, again, physically, because of the constraints on the cell, um, you reach a maximum. And then I say, well, what happened when the amoeba got the smartest it could be? The answer was they came together in community. And then I say, and what's the result of that? And I say, well, look at the human. A human is a community of 50 trillion amoebas. And I go, oh, it made a new organism, the human. And I say, then what? Well, then the human went out in evolution try, you know, to become the smartest it can be as individuals. But then there comes a time where you reach that level, and the next level of evolution is not making the individual smarter, but is bringing the individuals together in unity in a community, uh, and that is the next level of raising consciousness. So uh, where are we now? It's very interesting. We're in a phase of a breakdown of, of the system, the structures, the borders. The, uh, the whole thing is in chaos at this moment. But uh, instead of looking at it as a very negative uh, experience, uh, the chaos that you're experiencing is necessary because you have to sort of dissolve the structure that we're in, which is not supporting human civilization or life on this planet, to build a new civilization. So by definition, you have to go from civilization A to civilization B, and in the process, civilization A is going to, by definition, start to come down, and civilization B is going to be start to be being built up at the crossover, and we're at a crossover. 
And so you can yes. look at it from two ways. If you if you want to assign yourself to Civilization A, the current one, and you could be very upset by what's going on mm-hmm. uh, uh, because yes. it's falling apart. Uh, and if you want to assign yourself to the new Civilization B, then it's, these are very exciting times. As things are falling apart, it means this is the opportunity to restructure a civilization because you couldn't build it on the foundation of the one we have. That's the problem. Yes. In other words, things are deconstructing. It's Ilya Prigogine, the idea that there needs to be a stimulation in the cell or in the oyster, which is the example used, uh, which then creates another level of complexity and of organization. But it happens through a moment of chaos in the progression. A- absolutely. You know, the, uh, another parallel, just a simple one, uh, is uh, this is a metamorphosis of human civilization. And we're coming from the caterpillar stage into the next Indeed. level, the butterfly stage. And you know what's interesting, because everyone talks about the caterpillar and how, you know, uh, the little cute thing that it is. Uh, where I live in New Zealand, I, there's this milkweed bush that caterpillars that the uh, the monarch butterfly lays its eggs on that become the caterpillars, right? You know what happens? Mm-hmm. They eat the whole damn bush up. There. All that's left are the, are the branches and the twigs, not a leaf oh, left on it. They destroyed their entire environment, and then what they do? They got into a cocoon. And, and the interesting thing is uh, a caterpillar is, again, a community of cells, smaller than a human community, but it's a community. And I say, well, what does it look like? I say, well, the caterpillar was in growth, just like, you know, like the economy it was growing and it was eating and it was growing and it was destroying the environment that it was eating from. But the consequence was this, that all the cells had jobs. You know, there were cells to move the caterpillar, digest the food. All the cells were organized in a a community just like our organs in our body. And I go, well, then what happened? I said, well, it stopped. Why? It it ran out. It ate up the tree. The bush is gone now. And what did it do? It formed a a pupa. And then inside, I said, what happens inside? I said, well, the caterpillar is still in there, but the cells are out of work. One by one, the muscles say, oh, we're not moving. Jeez, we have no job here. And digestion, we're not eating anymore. Digestive cells start to fall off the the job. And then there's this chaos period. There's a lot of -of out-of-work cells. But then in the midst, there's a group of cells, the initiator, the stimulus, saying there's another way. And these are called the imaginal cells. And the imaginal cells provide the platform and a design for a new way of organizing that civilization. And it led to the butterfly stage, the one that has a very light touch on the planet and, and, and is so beautiful. So look where we are. We're at this terminal caterpillar thing. We've eaten up the resources of the planet that the damn caterpillar called human civilization can't grow anymore. And as a result, then you look at the jobs. It's like, well, with automation and and no more growth, uh, these cells are out of work. And then I say, then what? And I say, they're imaginal cells that come up with new ideas. Patch the imaginal cell. Atoms is uh, an imaginal cell. I got a new idea. There's a better way to do this. And so I say, what's this going to do? I says, out of the chaos, these ideas that have been percolating for years, and Patch has been percolating this idea for a long time, uh, is coming to a fruition place by necessity because the system that we are in 
is in a state of, uh, of this is a collapse of a civilization. Uh, NASA uh, had a major report on this and said that civilization as we know it is in an irreversible decline within the next couple of decades. So uh, this is a scientific fact. Relevance to me is did there's two ways you can look at it. Civilization, or did What's they that? say? Did they say civilization, or did they say ecosystem, as in relative to climate change? No, no. NASA change? said industrial civilization is oh, coming to a collapse. Oh, industrial civilization. Well, that's us, the West, right, and all that yes, stuff. Yes, of course. So, so, yes. but the fact about it is, there. Then I say, so I say, where are we? I say we're right in the right stage, man. <laughs> uh, the caterpillar is yeah. going into this metamorphosis state right now. And then I say, well, how do you respond to it? And this is the difference that we just mentioned before: is you could look at the collapse and be in fear and stress. It's going to get you sicker than hell. Or you can look at the fact is, no, this is. It's a good sign. It's a good sign because we are not sustainable. We can't go on. That's period. And it says the only way to to go on is to create a new foundation and do something different because this foundation is destruction. So you're on one side in fear if you see it coming down, but if you recognize that this is the necessary step for the next evolution, then it's an enheartening and enlivening. Uh, this is a major, exciting time because the, there's the foundation being laid of what will the future look like. And a hospital at 10% of the cost is in a world that is running out of resources is not just a good idea, it's a necessity. And that's why uh, Patch's history says, look, I've been doing this for a long time, so it's not a, a pie in the sky. I've got it going. And, uh, and so uh, it becomes important that Patch's work continues and gets his support. But as I said, uh, the, the current support people are, are from the old structure. Uh, they're not interested in, uh, uh, you know, reducing 90% of the income. <laughs> yeah. or, or not charging patients fees or anything like what patch you have in mind it's as though you know this is gestation as bruce is putting it so nicely you know it's you know who knew that you were pregnant for about 46 years and just now <laughs> about to give birth that's true it's just in i'm the last just couple starting of years, to right? show <laughs> you're starting to show <laughs> 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 no <laughs> that was good <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Patch is feeling the birth pains right now. <laughs> Bruce, go get some get some pickles and ice cream, please. <laughs> this is getting very exciting. <laughs> Pant blow, pant no. blow. <laughs> yeah, but in fact, you know, Bruce, I I so appreciate all that you're sharing here, and I I so stand behind it and feel that we are giving birth in fact, to a new world, a better world, if you don't mind my saying, a world in which uh, we are more aligned, organically aligned with our true deeper nature, which is, as we've all been saying in our own ways, a time of cooperation and love and compassion and understanding. It's instinctive, God knows. And I, I like to really emphasize it is, it's a survival thing, and that's a good thing. That's not a a scary thing. That's a good thing. We get along with each other so we can help each other. And we were designed this way. I mean, I I see this all as 
part of an extraordinary creation that we've been given that blueprint that, okay, everybody, the more you give, the more you receive. I consider that a, a stroke of absolute divine genius, <laughs> you know. Okay, everybody, the more you love, the more you will be receiving love. You're, that's amazing. Who came up with this idea? <laughs> it's, it's not in the genes. It's in the cloud. <laughs> yes, yes. Or the interface of our imagination, cloud and our and genetic structure. Would you say, Bruce? I mean, it's, it's an all, It's all part of a program. It is part of a program, yeah. and it's and it's uh, uh, it's really very interesting because. One of the things that, you know, in the list that Patch brought out, I believe he said was pleasure besides humor. Did was pleasure in that list, Patch? Yes. Well, not a uh, very interesting. But that would be uh, called life. Uh, yeah, sure is. Yeah. If you're not in, in pleasure, then life isn't going well at that moment. <laughs> because it was designed for go. us to be here. We were design- we were given a garden for God's sake, you know, uh, as yeah. uh uh, uh, Steve and I wrote uh, 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 in, in Spontaneous Evolution, a garden, by definition, is not a battleground. It's a garden. Yes. And, and yes. we've turned it into this battleground. And the fact is, we were given a gift. And 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 the people, like the indigenous people, uh, uh, and I really, my heart thanks all those indigenous people in the Dakotas to stop that damn pipeline. Uh, yeah. Because they're they're yeah, the they ones are. that knew that we were given a garden and that we were supposed to be gardeners and and support the environment and and how we how we doing with that uh, the answer is very clear uh, we are now by scientific definition in what is called the sixth mass extinction of life on this planet five times. The planet was thriving with life, and some cataclysmic thing happened, and from 50 to 90 percent of life disappeared almost instantly in a period of, you know, evolution time. Uh, and, and we are now losing species of organisms a thousand times above what is called background. There's always a, a, a loss of some species, but now today a thousand times greater than background. That uh, I mentioned this the other day, and uh, that was if you were here in 1970, they did a survey of how many animals and fish were on the planet uh, in 1970, and the recent survey revealed that uh, 60% of those animals have disappeared. So we only have 40% of the animal life on this planet uh, now than just in 1970, and that uh, the sea, another study, Will be uh, there will be no fish in the ocean by 2048. Uh, this is not a million years from now, you know, 2048, no. uh, and that uh, we uh, are it's human behavior that is precipitating yes. this mass extinction. So again, uh, the upheaval that we're having right now is is why is it necessary? The behavior we have been living by for the last period of millennia, whatever you know, since uh, since the indigenous people lost uh, the the control of the world, uh, we we have uh, you know uh, have been destroying this planet. Uh, we are responsible in our behavior, and it says that there must be a radical change in behavior. And and because my friend is on the line, talk about radical behavior changes, uh, Patch Adams. Uh, and he's exactly. like, this is you, 
<laughs> this is what we have to do. We have to change uh, to stay here. And, and uh, again, so everything is what you're looking at is a is a like a a, a track that we're on. And um, if you see where we're going, we can do something about it. And to do something about it is you just look at the world and see it's in chaos. And that is the precipitating step for another civilization. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would just add to that, Bruce, uh, the indigenous people never had control. But what they had was stewardship, which I have It's the book I'm writing called Sacred Stewardship, Awakening the Soul to Action, is all about our proper relationship, loving and respectful relationship to the planet, to the earth. And that's what they were good at. It was the Western mindset that talks about control, if you know what I mean, just to make that kind of a distinction. And when you start to try to control, that's where... You lose control, you know. That's where the question, comes in. The, the question comes in. Who do we think we are? <laughs> exactly. Who the heck do we think we are? No question about it. Well, the Gesundheit Institute is one of the most interesting. I mean, I love saying that to people. I'm going to be speaking with Batch Adams of the Gesundheit and it immediately makes them laugh which, of course, I know was part of the design patch. <laughs> but it's just, it's just part of your nature, and it's, it's just another expression of the, uh, of the beauty that you're bringing forward here. And I, I feel that this West Virginian enterprise is something that is really going to be gaining momentum in the, in the near term because the gestation is really in motion, and you're showing. I mean, it's that simple. You're showing. So is this a time I can tell the listeners, go to our website and make a donation? Absolutely. I think that would be great. <laughs> go for it. Or did I sneak that in? No, it's <laughs> totally, totally in alignment. That's absolutely the thing to do. Give your Dare website. to help us. Indeed. If Be you know part of any the evolution. If you know any wealthy people who want to do a fabulous thing, please send them my way. Beautiful. Give your website, website if you would. Website. Patchadams.org. Who? There's PayPal. And if you don't want to use PayPal, my address is on patchadams.org. Write me. We're a a tax-exempt group, Gesundheit, and yes. And Bruce, remember. Let me offer this. Let me offer this. I want people to know that Patch writes to everybody who writes to him. If you write to him... He will write you a letter back, and he's done that for I don't know how many years now. Uh, so uh, uh, there's a real personal touch there because he that's long hand. God bless. I Patch still Adam. answer it all has my mail. Complete pleasure. In fact, I'm caught up. Wow! Wow! I'm impressed. Eighty thousand letters. And Bruce, you you do know it's Russia next November, right? 
But yeah, you didn't give me the dates, but uh, I'll get my parka and uh, I'll be ready for the Arctic. <laughs> it's roughly the first week into November to the third week, so you'll get that info. I will be looking forward to it. Wonderful. We will be dangerous to those nearby. <laughs> yes, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. <laughs> Dr. Patch Adams, thank you so much for being on A Better World with me and my dear friend Bruce Lipton tonight. It's been wonderful to have you. I, a Better World stands fully behind your work, and I look forward to seeing you in New York City relatively soon, and we'll have you on the TV show as well, like we had Bruce on several times in the past as well. Thank and you. If all goes well, you're so welcome. You're so welcome. We will have an evening with Patch in New York City. More information to be announced. Oh, fabulous. Go. Everyone sign up. When when Mitchell sends out that, it, it would be great to be in an audience with Patch. I can tell you that right now from personal experience. And, and um and deepest appreciation for the man. And yeah, if you if you cut back on a cappuccino or a latte, you could put that into Patches Fund uh, at the Gesundheit Institute. That would be wonderful. Perfect, Bruce. And, and Bruce, and, since you're going to New yes. Zealand, can at least every three months you send me an email or a postcard? I will be in touch with you, my brother. I. Uh, I'm <laughs> over the airline right now. It's like uh, airwaves. Um, you're a wonderful human being, Patch and and uh, Mitchell. I want to thank you for for bringing Patch to the airwaves because uh, the man is a hard working man to 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 bring evolution here. So thank you Absolutely. both. Absolutely. Thank you both, Bruce. Thanks so much for joining us. I know you're so busy. It's truly a delight to have you back on again. And just my blessings to you both. Thanks again. And I'll be seeing you both quite soon. Bye-bye. Kissy, kissy, huggy, huggy. <laughs> and, and, hey, Lots listen, of love. I, uh, just the last thing I can of my appreciation yes. to your audience. The audience uh, are those cultural creatives out there that – are the ones that are the seeds for our new evolution. So my deepest appreciation to everyone who has been listening to this broadcast. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank all. you, Bruce. So appreciated. Thank you again. Thank you, Mitchell. You. You're so welcome. Good night now. Good night. This is Mitchell J. Raven for a Better World. So appreciate your joining us this evening. It's been an exciting show. I hope you enjoyed it. And even lengthy, but God, it's just sped by because of the wonderful input from both Patch Adams and Bruce Lipton, two dear friends. And it's a true honor and pleasure to have had them both on this evening and sharing with all of you. Remember to write to me at mjr at abetterworld.net. I love hearing from you, your comments, your statements, your suggestions. I learn from them and get much from them as well. And visit us at our website, abetterworld.tv. Sign up for our uh, newsletter, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.